welcome to Cinebabble episode 61. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Clint, three-time Olympic medalist in downhill skiing. Clint, tell your fans hello. Hello, Ken. Hello, fans. I'm uh, here. You know why I'm here? Because I've devoted my life to this downhill skiing, but in my last event, I broke both my legs, so this is what I'm left with. You did, but the result of that is you're bringing about peace in nations that never thought they would have peace. Uh, it's it's a very long story. I'm not going to bore anybody with it. It's, it's very amazing what downhill skiing can do. <laughs> it really is, especially when someone flips end over end and breaks both legs. Clint, I have a problem this week. Oh, no. So uh, Thor Love and Thunder came mm-hmm. out on Disney+. Plus. Yes. And I went to Thor Love and Thunder because I, I said to myself, enough. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of the messages because I'm still getting messages. Mm-hmm. Everybody tags on Thor Love and Thunder as this little joke, and I'm sick of it. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go to Thor Love and Thunder. I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to figure out what you all have wrong, and I figured it out. I don't think you have. I have. Oh, okay. I have. What I figured out is it's a bad movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, you've come around. I'm so happy. <laughs> I I don't know what it was about that day in the theater. Maybe yeah. I had just an awful morning and I was ready for some just really dopey giggles. But how many times did you go see it in the theater? <sighs> once. You only saw it once? I only saw it once. Oh my gosh. Because I knew it was going to come on Disney Plus in 30 days. Oh, okay. And so I was just, I was going to enjoy it at yeah. home. And I watched it and it's... <laughs> Calling it a bad movie is wrong. It's, yeah. it's not a bad movie. It just, it really is. Uh, it almost feels like a a two-hour bonus feature yeah. on, a, on a DVD. Yeah, uh, for sure. Or, or like um, when Anchorman did that alternate mm-hmm. cut that was just a collection of deleted yep. scenes. Almost feels like that. Which is and, funny to uh, think about when they, I kept reading things about like how much stuff they kept out of it. Yeah, yeah. And to think that's, okay, that's what they left themselves with. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe they'll do an Anchorman style thing. Where they <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> just make a worse I have no it. idea. And I'm not just saying this so everybody stops bugging me about it. But honestly, I watched it. I was really ready for a fight. Yeah. And as it's going along, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> They're all right. They're all right. I, so. I I actually had this conversation with my friends, up, um, Mike and Whitney. Oh, yeah. Um, because they went and saw it. And I don't, they're uh, mild um, comic book enthusiasts mm-hmm. because the kids are into it, but it was fun being reassured by them, outsiders of the comic book world, that I wasn't crazy. Yeah. Well, now insider of the comic book world is assuring you, you're not crazy and I'm not on to something that everyone else missed. It's, yeah. Yeah. It had some good stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, and it, and and that's what I came away with. It had some good stuff in it, uh, but unfortunately, that good stuff was kind of stitched together with a lot of very deleted scene feeling. Uh, yeah, gags. A uh, lot just of Chris Hemsworth's performance could be yeah. gag real. Yeah, stuff. So, oh well, what are you going to do when you're wrong? You're wrong, Clint. What you been watching about this week? Oh, Ken. I, I feel like this past week I haven't watched a whole lot, but maybe okay. I have. Maybe it's just a lot of stuff that's not worth talking about. Did you watch House of the Dragon the night yesterday? <laughs> I don't know. Did you watch House of the Dragon this last the episode? Game of Thrones? Yes. I am one behind, so I haven't okay. seen this one. Okay. Um, okay. Are you going to get to that? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. No. 
I just wanted to know your reaction. I will give it to you uh, once I... Eyes Wide Shut comes to Westeros. That's all I'll say. <laughs> it was... It was something. Just a masked ball of some sort? Yeah, it was... Yeah? Sure, sure. Okay. Yo, it... it you were about to say I would love it? it? No, <laughs> no. Um, uh, it's just... Uh, anyway. What yeah. you watching, Clint? What you... Let's get past this. <laughs> you dug us in this hole. Sorry, sorry. Um... Okay, so I have one thing I want to talk about. In Just the, one. One thing. Coincidence, I have one thing to talk about. I'm curious if this is the same thing. Okay. But my one thing is I want to talk about um, the new Lord of the Rings series. Ah, okay. I um, I would love to talk about that. Okay. Well, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Top-notch planning here uh, at Cinebabble. Yeah. So, yeah, I... Um, I think I was too behind and I okay. had kind of put it off because I really wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it mm -hmm. just from the previews I'd seen. I wasn't totally, um, didn't know how I felt about just the series in general. So the other night I was threw it on and I was so pleasantly surprised. Right? I loved this show. Oh, oh like, Clint. Seriously, I You're do. You're my spirit animal right now. I really so happy. am loving this show, like every aspect of it. I think it looks fantastic. It's gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. It, oh, my goodness. It's different enough from the Peter Jackson stuff, mm -hmm. but also feels a part of it. Yep. Like, it, like, I would not be disappointed if, like, they had done kind of like a Harry Potter thing where the, with the original um, uh Lord of the Rings, where a different director had taken mm -hmm. up, if it was like this. Yeah. Because it still feels a part of it, but it's doing something different and tonally different, yeah. and I, I'm really enjoying it. And this thing, this show has reminded me, like, with, you know how I've felt about um, about Game of Thrones, yeah. Yeah. and I've just been very kind of lukewarm to it, and it's kind of made me feel like I don't know if I like fantasy. Like, in general, like, I just don't, like, I was feeling that way, like, and I was kind of bummed, like, I just don't, I think maybe I've outgrown it, or I'm just mm -hmm. moved towards more, like, science fiction stuff or something. But then watching this, it reminded me that, no, what I want is straight-up hard fantasy, yeah. where we got the orcs, and we got the, the dwarves, and all of the different races of characters, and they just lean into it, and that's the world. And that's what I've been missing from Lord of the, from Game of Thrones, and it doesn't have all the politics. It's like a very, I don't know, it's just, this is what I wanted this whole time. Well, and that's something, I, th I think one of the detriments to something like Game of Thrones is there's there's so much time spent trying to ground it and make you believe in the world. Yeah. And then the flights of fancy remain dark and grounded, but they're always at the edges. Yep. And suddenly a dragon shows up and you remember, oh, yeah, I'm watching a, right. a fantasy show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as opposed to Rings of Power, which just hard leans into these crazy vistas and these giant creatures and weird. Uh, I just, I love all that stuff. It's it's the fantasy version of what Foundation just did, I think, exactly. with sci-fi. Right, for sure. Where it really, like, yeah, we could give you, uh, you know, something that's plausibly in the future, but let's just go weird. Right. And let's go, like Dune, let's exactly. go so far out there that we're going to give you something different than you know, what you've seen in other things. Yeah. And that doesn't like, like, um, 
tear me away from the characters in any way. Like yeah. I feel more connected to, or, or by the first episode, more connected to the characters in this show than watching like all of Game of Thrones, yeah. where you've spent whatever was the seven seasons or something. Mm-hmm. And this, I was instantly like, okay, I know who these people are. I know what their like mission is, their goals are, what they've been doing. And I, I've seriously, like, really, I was so surprised how much I really enjoyed this show. And there's something, I, I don't know what the word is. It's not primal, but there's something as far as fiction is concerned, primal about that it's sort of like the first three episodes of Star Wars, mm-hmm. four, five, and six. Yeah. Is, is so based in just archetype and myth that you instantly understand certain things and it really yeah. connects with you at an emotional level, like a deep mm-hmm. kind of instinctual emotional level. Yeah. And the prequels lose that. The series recently have lost that mm-hmm. because it moves so far outside of that. Just give me the archetypes and let me have these familiar archetypes play together in a new way. Yeah. And that's what Rings of Power is doing. Mm-hmm. It's not there's grand conflict, but there's not grand complexity here. Right. This is a sister who is trying to avenge her brother and right. find her enemy. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, even the scene between um, Durin, the dwarf, uh-huh. and Elrond. Right, about where, their friendship. And, and, yeah. and it's just, it's it's this normal, uh, you know, uh, oh, you've you've taken offense to me accidentally ignoring important things in your life. Yeah. But then they go beyond that. So there's your archetype. But then they go beyond that with, oh, my goodness, they're really separating what it would be like to be an elf Right, understanding so understanding time differently, yes. and you don't realize that twenty years it, to you is a blink of an eye, but to this yeah. person, it's a big chunk of their life. And yeah, that that was a really powerful, like, interesting moment to think yeah. about it in that way. And the same thing with uh, uh, Gla- Gladriel. Yes. Gla- um, her on like the whole opening sequence of that, and through like it's been over what a hundred yeah. years that she's been pursuing. Um, this uh, evil. And it's just interesting to like the same way, like foundation does. It plays with time and is like over these um, millennia. Like I I find that idea so fascinating. And then to put that into a character and you have this character to attach that to, it's really interesting. It's funny because uh, diehard book readers are very upset about this series. Okay. If you've read about it, Uh, which, uh, is funny to me because one, this is not based on any books. Uh-huh. This is based on the appendices. Like they got the rights to the appendices, which are literally a sentence or two, uh-huh. and they're building entire episodes out of it. So calm down right. about your love for the like the appendices, seriously. <laughs> and number two, Tolkien was constantly revising his work mm-hmm. and changing things. So, you know, calm down. He wasn't this grand architect that had everything figured out. But the bigger thing is that you're you're taking these appendices, and if you watch a, a YouTube video about kind of the history mm-hmm. of the Second Age, this takes place over thousands of years. Mm-hmm. You can't do a show over thousands of years. Right. Your elf characters would stay the same. Right. But literally every episode, you'd have to kill every other character, let them die off, and introduce entirely new characters. Mm-hmm. And so what they've done brilliantly, I think, is they're taking these kind of big moments from these appendices stories that take place over thousands of years. And so far, they're constructing them into this really compelling narrative mm-hmm. that I'm buying is happening all at once. Right. Uh, and and so, you know, in a way, that's what reminds me of, of the Peter Jackson approach to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Gandalf, when he first finds the ring with Frodo, he goes away for like 70 years to research it. Mm-hmm. Well, in the movie, he he, <laughs> he makes a quick ride and comes back because, uh-huh. you know, if it's the ultimate evil ring, I don't know. You don't spend 70 years trying to figure it out if all you have to do is throw it in the fire and see if it right. <laughs> has yeah. some writing on it. <laughs> but, but I really appreciate that this show is, I I think, being very uh, sort of respectful of the text while still recognizing as an adaptation what you need to change and, and what you need right. to where yeah. you need to cut some fat and and make a show functional. Yeah. I think it helps too that um like you're talking about the archetypes like uh, of these characters through like that we're very familiar with. Yeah. Like they did a really good job of just being also archetypes of the original Lord yeah. of the Rings series where you're like, uh, you can pick up on like, okay, this is the Frodo character, yeah. but not in a way like it's replacing that. It's just like, this is the, this character's moment in time and yeah. you can be connected to them. It's, it's, I don't know. I'm excited about it. I, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you're digging it. Um, I was going to give it a few more episodes before I even brought it up on here because I I didn't even think you were watching it. So that makes me happy. The the only other thing I, I'll say about it, it's it's really the the show is very sharp mm-hmm. because just like the Peter Jackson movies, it hops between very fanciful and delightful mm-hmm. scenes with the Harfoots and then goes to some really dark, yeah, deep stuff, and it turns on a dime. But not in a distracting way at all. No, I it uh, it feels like all a part of one world, just people with different outlooks on that world. Right, and it helps with like the Harfoots too that yeah. there's like this mysterious character that, that's potentially good or dark, yeah. and then they're dealing with that. But there's lightness, and then it can easily flow to the next scene. But I'm like every character and every like scenario going on in the show, I'm invested in. Yeah. Like there's not a dead one for me. Like I'm always like, oh, cool. Okay. Now it's the Harfoots or here's, we're in the, this island of men and it's awesome. Well, and I'm particularly intrigued because the whole thing in the second age is Sauron keeps disguising himself as good things mm. and tricking races into doing things. So I, I'm trying not to overthink it, but the whole time I'm like, Man, I bet you anything. Uh, if they haven't already, they're going to introduce somebody, and it's totally Sauron, and you have no idea it's Sauron uh-huh. yet. And so, you know, even in the back of my brain, there's this underlying mystery, which is introduced right at the beginning. Gladriel's like, I'm trying to find Sauron. Uh-huh. So now my brain is trying to find Sauron. Right, and I, right. I love the show for for kind of uh, giving me characters that I care about, and I'm teaming with their kind of... Uh, their goals or their mm-hmm. their intellectual pursuits. Yeah. So, good well, on you, Clint. Yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying it too. Good. I was afraid like I'd come in here and you had some like theological reason why this is trash and like you're wrong about liking it. And I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it too. I love, I just, I love an adaptation that, that can honor a book, but just know where to change. Yeah. Um, and I, I do not for the life of me get these people who are so wrapped up in their, their love of, of a source material mm-hmm. that they can't enjoy an adaptation. Yeah. Um, because again, I, I really think if these people got the, the, uh, sentence for sentence adaptation they want, <laughs> it would be awful. I mean, just genuinely awful. Right. Because you're dealing with history that was just written as bullet points. I, I just don't understand the point of doing that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, just enjoy things or turn it off. Right. 
Yeah, there's no. that option. There's an yeah. off button. Yeah. I don't need your 18th YouTube video on how the Rings of Power is stupid for having a black elf. You know, shut up. <laughs> oh, they're just racist. That's oh, all. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care about the text of the book. Nope. They're just racist. Well, I watched something uh, that is possibly on the complete opposite end okay. of the spectrum uh-huh. in terms of quality and everything I'm going to say about it. Okay. I watched the extended edition because it popped up on Peacock oh, no. of Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> okay. And this is possibly <laughs> uh, in competition with The Predator. Really? For being one of the worst modern movies I've ever so seen. So you're going to make me watch this thing, huh? No. <laughs> I, good God, stay away from this thing. Okay. It is offensively bad yeah, and so long and boring. Mm-hmm. And I get that I was watching the extended edition, but it's only extended by about 15 minutes, I think. Uh-huh. This is a bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just, I, I was shocked because yeah. I know it got bad reviews. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know what? When I was a kid, mm-hmm. I watched Sam Neill and Laura Dern mm-hmm. and, and Jeff Goldblum mm-hmm. take on some dinosaurs. They're back in this movie. There's that great shot in the trailer where they team up and the other people are teamed up. Man, it takes two hours and like 20 minutes. Really? To get this crew of people together. How long is this movie? Three hours almost. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it feels like 18. Uh-huh. It's, Clint, don't watch it. Okay. I don't even want to talk about it more, but I'm going to. Uh, it, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. You're, you're just stopping. No, I'm not. I'm just stopping. Oh. That's how bad. I, I was just so disappointed. And I thought there'll, there'll be some good scenes. Let me give you just one example. Is the good scene a raptor chase on motorcycles? No. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a good scene example. I'm going to give you that example. So these raptors, uh-huh. okay, have been trained that yeah. once you take this laser pointer and you point it at somebody, that is their target, and they are <laughs> going to get that thing no matter what. Follow so far? Mm-hmm. So thus begins this motorcycle chase through the streets, and there's mm-hmm. two different chases happening. One is after Bryce Dallas Howard, and two raptors are after her, and two raptors are after Chris Pratt. Now, Chris Pratt stays on the, the motorcycle the whole time. Yeah. Bryce Dallas has got to do a little bit of trickery. Mm-hmm. Uh, these things are like careening fighter jets, okay? Uh-huh. These things are flying. There's nothing stopping these dinosaurs from, like, cats on a laser pointer. They are just like, I'm going to get the thing. Who's doing the laser pointer? This, this like, bizarrely evil character who shows up for five minutes okay. just to introduce the concept of these raptors uh-huh. is the only place they show up in the movie. And she she points it at them because mm-hmm. they've come to, I guess, citizens arrest her internationally. It's uh-huh. stupid. Anyway, uh, they're chasing a little clone girl who's been kidnapped. A clone girl? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'm telling you, Clint. Is she half raptor too? No, like, please no, tell me this, that. This movie. So careening, yeah. careening through the streets after Bryce Dallas. Now, Chris Pratt, you know, it's a typical action scene. They're just snapping at his his motorcycle and circumstances help him to get away by riding onto a plane that's taking off because that's how physics work. Mm-hmm. But with Bryce Dallas, these things are flying around corners and smashing into things and knocking over cars and all this mm-hmm. until yes. she gets cornered in a warehouse. Okay. And then this raptor pops in and just hits the brakes for this real dramatic 
I'm about to pounce. Now, this is a Raptor yeah. that's seriously been headbutting cars, uh-huh. like moving cars. You cannot tell me that when this thing comes into an empty room where people are standing against a wall, it is going to do anything other than maul. You are going to see something right now that is going to take this so befa- far beyond an R rating. Right. Oh, my goodness. Just splattered against the wall. Nope. Real dramatic. Mm-hmm. And later, same thing. There's another Raptor on a nice sheet. Real dramatic approach. Gotta gotta think this out because uh-huh. this woman's got a knife and the other woman's <laughs> got a, a shocky stick. I gotta ooh, I gotta be careful. Mm-hmm. Gotta be careful, Clint. It's a bad movie. Hmm. It's a bad movie. Yeah. And I feel like I could go scene by scene, but I'm not going to. Special episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not worth it. Don't you watch it, Clint. Okay. Or maybe just watch the last half hour. Is that where it gets really bad? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. It's, it's, that's when everybody comes together and it's bad. Okay. You think the whole time, okay, this is just exceptionally bad because they're apart. Maybe once they get together, they'll at least be a little bit of nostalgic fun. This team yeah. up between the old and new crews coming together, does it really make a big dramatic difference on no. the plot? It's just so for the last half hour of the movie, they can hit every beat from Jurassic Park, uh-huh. the original, and just recreate yeah. it uh, as fan service. It was, it's awful. Mm. Oh, the critics were right, Clint. So, uh, without further ado, uh, we have three things that we're reviewing today. Uh, we have Top Gun Maverick, Elvis. Top Gun Top Maverick. Top Gun Maverick, Elvis, and uh, 2016 uh, horror thriller, The Girl with All the Gifts. But let's stop. Stop. <laughs> let's just stop we're now. done. Let's start with Top Gun Maverick. It's a 2022 American action drama directed by Joseph Kaczynski. It is the sequel to the 1986 film Top Gun and the second installment in the Top Gun film series, uh, starring Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, a little bit of Al Kilmer, and Jennifer Connelly, and then a bunch of other people that you'll recognize. And I guess John Hamm matters. Uh, Ed Harris, but uh, other than did that, did you say Miles Teller? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. that was the second name I popped out. Oh, not Bunch listening. of actors that that you will not care too much about. Clint, what did you think of Top Gun Maverick? Side note: This movie is in the top five uh, U.S. domestic. Yeah, did box it beat like halls. Titanic or something? No. No, no, it's not there yet. Or, or was it? Um, it it just Endgame passed, or something. Uh, no, it hasn't passed Endgame. It passed Black Panther and something else because I believe it's in the top five now. Mm. What'd you think of uh, good old Tom Cruise and Top Gun Two? <laughs> Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Well, you know, I've spoken about this that I just watched yeah. the original mm. for the first time in my life, um, like a few months ago, um, and I didn't really care at all about this movie until I saw that. And then like, it was like, oh, it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun. So then seeing things about this movie coming out where like they did a lot of the plane stuff Mm -hmm. very practically, like Tom Cruise is just flying around like a maniac up there. Um, So that, and that had me really uh, interested. And just because like movies aren't done like that anymore. Like even like the original Top Gun wasn't um, that devoted to um that level of authenticity so this uh i i was kind of interested in seeing it i didn't get to see it in the theater unfortunately well i guess it's probably still could if i wanted to it's probably still out there yeah it's, yeah it's i think it's still over at our local theater yeah um I, here eventually it's going to be streaming for free on paramount plus but hmm. that's awesome yeah. 
Oh, say it. so. I I watched I watched this the other night because you were kind enough to rent it and pass it along to me. <laughs> I had to buy this. It was, oh, it was twenty dollars. I do own this. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I uh, I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all the plain stuff. I don't think this was a great movie. Like I I have been telling people, I just I don't think it's uh, all the hype that everyone is giving it. I think that's a lot of nostalgia that people are placing mm-hmm. on this movie and just can't believe that it's as good as it is. But I think just like the level of um, devotion they had to getting the um, dogfights correct was enough for me. Um, but overall, I thought it was decent. What did you think of it? <laughs> I had a really good time with this movie. Yeah. Let me let me preface everything I'm about to say with that. Yeah. It the sense of speed mm-hmm. and the the sense of the minute everything hits the air. Yeah. It's genuinely fun to watch, mm-hmm. and you can tell uh, this is this is largely being shot practically. Yeah. Um, this movie though. 80s harder than any <laughs> movie outside of the 80s mm-hmm. has ever 80s. Yeah. This thing this thing is more than a nostalgic throwback. This is how do we make a 1980s movie in 2022? There was like probably a formula on a whiteboard yeah. where yeah. they're trying to hit all the beats yeah. of an 80s movie. And almost to the point that it loses some of that fun at times and mm-hmm. almost feels overly manufactured. Yeah. To be very 80s. Yeah. Um, even, even some of the conflict. And <laughs> the one scene where it first clicked is where Tom Cruise walks into this bar. And uh-huh. they don't have Kelly McGillis. So they've got to establish that he has history with this Jennifer Connelly yeah, character. Penny. Penny. Oh, Penny. I definitely remember her name is Penny. <laughs> and his name is Pete. Because they say it to each other three dozen times. Yeah. Pete, you just need to know that that you can't just walk back in here like this. Well, Penny, I just, you know, and uh-huh. it's it's such an 80s screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Let's just repeat each other's names over and over again so the, the audience really knows who we are. Um, this movie just kind of throws everything at the wall and yeah. sees what sticks. And th- there's a lot of... Oh, let's. There was a there was a song in the original Top oh Gun. Oh my gosh! So let's have a bar song in this. And one. And it's the same song. Yeah. And it's like, why would like unless his dad was constantly playing? Oh. Like he he was little. Yeah. Playing this song around. The, why wouldn't he be playing something modern yeah. or like something that these like young recruits yeah. or like pilots are going to be interested in? Why is it? Well, what is the song again? It's uh, uh, Great Balls of Fire. Yeah, yeah, Great Balls of Fire. Like why? Oh, that was a big cheese ball moment for me. The other thing, you instantly after watching it <laughs> sent me a text. Do you want to share? I don't want to steal it okay. from you, but I have a lot to say well, about I it. Well, I was halfway through this movie, like in it, they're <laughs> they're giving getting together the plan for this attack that they're going to Which just to bring everybody up to speed, this is not a spoiler. It's it's a nameless nation. They don't even name who the yeah. enemy nation is, but they're about to enrich uranium. So clearly, you know, we're like, I don't know, uh it's wherever definitely not Iran. Mag- definitely this, looks North Korea. Yeah, wherever this magical place is in between two mountains, so somehow they built this giant. They like, have to. It's a very specific thing. They have to fly through uh, a canyon for two minutes, go up this mountain, down this mountain, drop a bomb, bomb. 
to on crack open like a refrigerator size yes, box to to crack open a hole so that the second team of jets can do the same maneuver but drop a bomb directly into this hole i don't know the size of you know uh, a wamprat uh, <laughs> and then climb out of this yeah. mountain immediately be barraged by missiles and enemy fighters so anyway ahead, i'm like point. halfway through this thing and i'm like is does top gun know that it's star wars <laughs> Like the entire plot of this movie is just Star Wars. It really is Star Wars. It is. There's a big bad and we got to fly down that trench and we got to bullseye this small area. And if we don't bullseye that small area, man, we're we're in some trouble. But I was like, I don't know if they do. They not remember Star Wars or are like they're just so like on this 80s nostalgia train of like, I mean, like piecing together the perfect action film that they're like, well, that worked in Star Wars. We're going to take that and put it in here. I think their problem, I think they accidentally stumbled into it. Yeah. I think their problem is they needed to come up with a reason, a very intricate reason why we wouldn't just cruise missile this area. Yeah. Why we, like they had to come up with a mission 80s style that would require top fighters to fly in and do this crazy thing. We don't really have to do that anymore. And I still don't quite understand because they they launch all these missiles mm-hmm. to take out a, the airfield. Uh, an airfield. We have missiles that are bunker busters. And you can't tell me that yeah, the you missiles an- on these planes are somehow more advanced than what we can fire uh, from 100 miles away on, on an aircraft carrier. Right. It was, it was very confusing to me. And yeah. they, they throw a lot of kind of jargon at you just so you very fast so that yeah very fast your suspension of disbelief is they have to do this there's no other way Mm -hmm. um and then and but you're also supposed to believe that they don't have the most advanced fighter jets yes that this that this enemy nation has these fifth generation they keep saying fifth generation <laughs> fifth generation fighters like we're supposed to mean why anything don't to we us. have sixth generation fighters we have like the biggest defense budget in the entire world yeah. why are- yeah. <laughs> well and when you're talking about enriching uranium i would get this if they're if they're trying to make this nation china or russia or somebody that would already have these but if you haven't enriched uranium yet how do you have more advanced fighters than it was it it's very strange. Very yeah. Strange. Well, something like I, I was kind of letting go the like, because they did that in the original to the, the mm-hmm. nameless, faceless enemy until like I <laughs> I don't particularly like this man's show, but Bill Maher's show. Mm-hmm. And he did a thing about this movie and breaking down like do like it's basically just a ploy to recruit people because because they're doing the nameless thing that then we can attach it for generate like for years that okay now it's north korea like and it's just in this kind of devious in that way and i didn't really think about it like too much before just like i was like oh it's a stupid movie thing they're doing it so the same reason but i didn't see it as dark as he did but then it made more like it did make sense and i was like it is kind of i don't know it's weird but another thing about this movie is um, kind of the original, like the shoehorned, like romance, romantic yeah. angle of this yeah. movie, like even felt more shoehorned yeah. in and just unnecessary. Like I kind of liked the 
angle that he's this loner guy, like who is not advanced in his career, like he wanted to, because he's such an outsider and does his things his own way. Um, I wish it was more about like this kind of hermit of a character who's brought back in um, to help out. Um, but also that's another thing at the same time I'm enjoying that, but then other times I'm thinking like, really, like he's accomplishing all these things, even though he's like doing it on his own terms, you don't think he would advance like any further. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Or they would still leave him in the program to be like, oh, there goes Maverick again, not following orders. Yeah. There's only so many times that can, you know, and again, that was a very 80s. Yeah. Like, we're really mad at him until something good happens. And then, well, I guess it'll it'll work out in his favor. Yeah. Uh, This is, uh, I know this is sounding like I I hate this movie. I didn't. It was fun. No, I actually. It was a fun throwback. Yeah. Um, It just, it really requires you to not think hard about it. Because the minute you start thinking about it. Um, even, you know, spoilers over the course of this movie, they go to such lengths to explain how much of a suicide mission this is. Mm-hmm. No one dies. <laughs> right. Even the characters who are like kind of throwaway yeah. characters yeah. through the whole movie. I thought, okay, they're fodder. Four planes, eight people, no one dies. Missiles flying mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, you know, two crash landings. Uh, one half on purpose. Don't get me started on that whole section of the movie. That's the only time where I was just like, come on, guys. This is about flying. This isn't platoon. Calm down. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, at, at first, spoilers again, I thought they, they just killed Tom Cruise. Uh-huh. Okay, I got a little bit of respect for this movie. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Oh, nope, nope. Yeah, I, I knew. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. So anyway, it's it's fun. It's, I, it's a fun 80s throwback. I I agree with you i do not i think it's way overhyped yeah this is not the next great action movie i think there's some legitimately great um cinematography in this film like as far as the plane stuff and like that whole like opening thing with he's this test pilot for this top secret jet and like they're showing him testing it and it's just this like amazing arc across Uh, the the really wide shot wide shot across like the whole sky uh, like the upper atmosphere like i I was like man that's really like that's where it really was hooking me Um, I'll tell you where the cinematography didn't hook me. Okay. When they're playing Great Balls of Fire uh-huh. and Penny's oh enjoying God, the song. It slows down. And then it slows down and she looks out and sees Tom Cruise. Being all sad. Pete, real sad at the door. <laughs> yeah. And she's she's connecting like, oh, this song means something to him. It is the longest, most lingering shot on Pete just staring yeah. back in the bar. I agree. And Penny looking at him, uh-huh. and he doesn't know she's looking, but she knows. And this wounded, wounded-hearted warrior, she's gonna, <laughs> she's gonna nurse him back to health. Clint, what about the completely nonsensical game they're playing on the beach? That's yeah. not. It's like double football, double football at the same time. And it's like, okay, we gotta get our sexy men shot. Like, yeah, they're so oiled up yeah. on the beach. And then the one poor, again, shoehorned. Like, there's girl pilot. There's girl uh, pilot. Yeah, and I appreciate that. But they do the Why same. Why weren't thing. there like three of them? Yes, 
<laughs> and they do the the same thing uh, that aliens, which I get had to do in 1986, mm-hmm. but it's like she's not just a girl pilot. She's the butchiest, <laughs> like hanging right with the guys. And it's just like, God, come on. These these are the most 80s group of young men yeah. uh, that that have really been in a movie in quite a long time. For, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's fun. Watch it, enjoy it. Yeah, it's good. If you love it, <laughs> you know, don't feel bad. I'm not. I'm not trying to. After all we've said, it's still a good movie. Really, just don't think about yeah, it. Just Listen go to and... the first thirty seconds of this description. Just like it's fun. Next. Yep. Speaking of, that brings us to Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Uh, it's a 2022 biographical musical drama directed by Baz Luhrmann, who did uh, Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. He did and the Elton John movie, I believe. El- I didn't think he did, did Elton John. Did he not John. do that one? I don't think so. He did Romeo and Juliet. He did a lot of cocaine uh, <laughs> prior to this movie. Uh, I have no idea, but wow, this movie is something. Uh, the film follows the life of rock and roll icon, singer, and actor Elvis Presley, told from the perspective of his manager, the shady Colonel Tom Parker, uh, who is played uh, with lots of prosthetics by Tom Hanks. That was directed by Dexter Fletcher. Oh, okay. Uh, Elvis is played um, with a lot of enthusiasm by Austin Butler. And there's there's quite a few other uh, actors in this uh, of note, including... Cinebabble favorite, KSM, Cody Smith McBee, uh-huh. shows up in this um, for a time before he just not there anymore. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed They're that. Past that part yep. of the yep. story, I yep. guess. So, Clint, what did you think of Elvis? I'm about to take you on a little bit of a roller coaster with this. A journey roller a coaster? A journey roller yes. coaster. Okay. I okay. I put this on immediately after watching Top Gun, and I was feeling pretty high after that one. Okay, I was okay. like, I was like, that was fun, stupid fun. I enjoyed that. Let's okay. I gotta watch this Elvis movie. I'm gonna check it out. Like, just see what it is. Like from like the first, because I was kind of curious. Get a snapshot. Get a snapshot. Know what I'm stepping into. Because I mean, I like Elvis, so I was curious about that, and like it looked like it was kind of over the top and um, stylish. So I put this on, and I hate this movie so much from what I'm watching in the first 15 minutes before I'm like, it's too late. (laughs) I'm not going to watch all this. I'm turning it off. But I'm like feeling really low and like, I don't know if I can, I might have to tell Ken that I cannot watch this movie. (laughs) It is feeling like Michael Bay at his worst, where it's just very fast cut shots, flashing from one thing to the next, really like over stylized for no particular reason. And and it's Tom Hanks in this horrible fat suit, being uh, having a horrible accent. And I think, and uh, I'm just like, I do not know if I can do this movie. So it gets closer to this day of the, of the podcast, and I'm like, I gotta watch this movie. And I'm still, duty. I am still having a hard time with this, but then it gets to a certain point where the Tom Hanks aspect, like his character kind of falls more towards the background. He becomes less of a narrator and more of a character. More of a character, less, yeah. and yeah, and, um, and the stylized um, aspect of it starts to mellow out a little bit as it becomes more a part of the movie and not just like flash before your eyes. And... Then it starts becoming more about Austin Butler's Elvis character, his portrayal of him. 
And I am so transfixed by his char- his character of him. And honestly, I think it's like he should have win something for this movie. I I think he was fantastic as Elvis. Um, he does like he does a lot of the singing in it. Like they do a lot of that, um, all the live performance stuff, and he's playing and he's singing, and he's so good. And I think he's got his accent down really well. Like he's playing the part really well. But still, there's all this like stuff around the edges that I'm not enjoying. But once it settles into that, I'm I get hooked into the movie. I still wouldn't say I love the movie, but I loved his performance. Um, what did you think of this? I couldn't say it better. I I really think this is a terrible movie with an incredible yeah. central performance. Um, I I had the exact same feeling. Uh, Rachel and I watched this together, and she's looking at me the first 15, 20 minutes. She's mm-hmm. like, what are we watching? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'll, I know. I'll turn it off and watch it later. And she's like, it's fine. She was working anyway on her computer. Yeah. And then we, we really got into it, but we never really got into the movie. We got into... Yep. Austin Butler's Elvis. Mm -hmm. He's so good and he's so committed. And there are scenes, especially towards the end when it gets to Vegas and things like that. Yeah. Now I'm really invested in this movie. Mm -hmm. He has pulled me into this movie. And there's some some other good performances in there. Uh, I forget who plays his wife, Priscilla. She does a really good job. But for the most part, these are very one-note characters with this bizarre character of of this Machiavellian manager yeah. that's so cartoonish it really disrupts the whole movie and i really think that the the primary mistake of this movie isn't even so much the style i think if it would have started with elvis about elvis i know i i think it would have been fine and i probably would have liked this but it it makes the hell or high water decision that the frame of this movie is going to be this manager's mm-hmm. story and it's awful. And it's, I don't care about him. And I don't like him anyway. No. And there's there's no real – he introduces it as this, oh, there's two ways to look at this. No, there's not. Even no. by your own narration and story, there's not two like, ways to look at this. By the end, there was no way to see it any other way than no. you like swindled this like – like star out of everything that he yeah. like had earned. And it didn't it didn't bother me as a character that that we're seeing that manager take advantage of him. I think that's an important part of that story yeah. that I never knew about. But you you don't need to try to look like this guy. It drives me nuts when movies do that to right. the detriment of the mu- movie. Just give me Tom Hanks being uh, yeah, a con man. Tom Hanks is a great actor. Mm-hmm. Don't give me Tom Hanks with a weird accent and with prosthetics and all this other stuff. Just give me Tom Hanks taking advantage of this kid. Or because, if you want it so accurate, get somebody who can do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but the it the point is not what this guy looks like. The yeah. point is what this guy is doing. His character. Um, and I I think they were going extra grotesque with the look and the sound of him to try to really emphasize how much of a swindler he was, how effective he was. But man, you've got Tom Hanks. Right. Just just let him work. And I I would kill to see a version of this movie that has Tom Hanks just kind of off the leash next to this Austin Butler mm-hmm. performance. I really think that's a a very interesting relationship especially when you bring in the father and the loss of Elvis's mother and, and these things. Right. Um, there's there's a lot there that I, I really think this movie could have been. 
Yeah. Um, and there were times I, I appreciated Baz Luhrmann's style and times it just drove me insane. By about like, <clears throat> not even, even before the halfway point of the movie, like it, it settles in. Yeah. But it's so much flash at the very beginning yeah. and getting used to Tom Hanks' performance like was so jarring to me. And it all of that just takes away from like the very early years of Elvis's mm-hmm. story. Like it overshadows all that. And they kind of rock it through it. Yeah. They devote a lot of screen time to what's happening around him instead of what's happening to him. I kind of wish they had done like what was this like the Steve Jobs movie or something mm-hmm. where they're they're gonna yeah. focus on a, a certain point in this person's yeah. life. Just so let's three Let's start, like the do it like on this the downslide portion of his life where he's come back from the war yeah. and he's trying to build his career back up and he does that special like I love that whole sequence yeah. where he's doing the special and they're kind of working behind his back yeah. uh, behind the manager's back yeah and like I thought that was fantastic and then like the whole where he's starting up the um the Las Vegas um residency stuff yeah. like that was fantastic I I like the style when it came to the music yeah. early on even uh when you're seeing uh, a very young elvis and he's first listening to uh kind of this this underground club mm-hmm. and he's looking through the wood and then he goes over to this revival tent and he's listening to this yeah. church music and and they start to overlap three different pieces of music together and then it will cut to him recording kind of an iconic song and it was such an effective way and this isn't the first movie to do that yeah but it did it very uh interestingly where you could get the sense of oh all these influences coming together for this song yeah i really like that stuff well me too and they did that at the end when he's when they're working on the song at the las vegas um the the club or the um casino and he's like showing the band this song and then they're flashing back to referencing those moments yeah. too and like how he's still working that like it's a through line through all his work mm-hmm. and that was really interesting i really i didn't i have this problem with a lot of other movies too that do this but i don't like when they bring in these very modern like there's like the scene where he's walking down the street and it's only two or three moments yeah and they have like a rap song yeah. over top of like yeah. of this part of town like this black part of town and it's just like it's a little too on the nose or and it's just like a too modern like it when elvis in that time of music is so cool and like interesting like why do we have to do that and and you're showing people like bb king yeah there's plenty of music from the era right that would do that exact same thing Mm -hmm. it's it's really i i think that's almost a nod to maybe uh much younger audience members who wouldn't understand some of those things as well like to show them like there there's a through line to the music that you like from the past yeah i can i understood Uh, why they were doing it but it was just like it was distracting to me yeah no i agree um, so yeah, I mean, that's end of the day. I'm, I'm right with you. This is just, it's a really flawed movie, but man, just a flawless, uh, so much, uh, respect for Austin Butler. And he's, he's much more, I, I don't think I could have picked him out of a lineup before this movie. And no, now I'm, I'm, my brain is what's he doing next. Right. I want to know what movie he takes on next mm-hmm. because he's, 
he's incredible. And I hope this isn't kind of a one-hit wonder kind of thing. I can't um, see like how I mean the level of devotion he put to that oh role. Just is, his soul bleeds on every scene of this. Yeah, he like, just, to the singing, to the moves, to yeah. just like the character, like his character of Elvis in just like in the quieter moments, just yeah. like dramatic moments, yeah. he's great. Um, but yeah, and it makes me upset that I I wish I enjoyed like all the other aspects of the movie more. But I really I, I I'm glad I finished it and I'm glad I watched it. And I those things might not bother their other people. Yeah. And so it's definitely worth uh checking out. Yeah. Now, can I ask you one really weird question about this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh <laughs> there are two scenes. Yeah. And Elvis's mom is having a little bit of breakdown in each of these scenes. Uh-huh. And maybe I've been watching too much House of the Dragon. Uh-huh. But what Baz Luhrmann does in those two scenes where Elvis, like, hugs his mom and she, like, turns <laughs> to him and their lips are super close. Yeah. Did you get weird, creepy vibes from the – it was it was out of nowhere. I and did. it felt so bizarre to me that they chose – like, I'm like, are they trying to suggest that there's a near incestuous love between mother and son here? Are they I got so glimpse, bizarre to I me. got glimpses of that, like, and I kind of felt that yeah. way. And I totally understand what you're talking about. Okay. But at the same time, I'm like, he, she, like, they were inseparable. Like, they, that's all, they only had each other. So yeah. it's just like, maybe that it's just... It's just one of those things. And there's nothing about Baz Luhrmann. I don't know anything <laughs> about Baz Luhrmann. But you know how when you find out things about, like, uh, Luke Besson, and then you go back and watch The Professional? Not that we've talked about that before. And then you're like, oh, it's right there. That's that's all. Because it was, I, yeah, it was a know. strange choice. There's a, there's a way to show, like, a closeness between a mother and son without giving me... Ick vibes. <laughs> I, I'm just okay. That well, just they makes don't me full feel on kiss, so no. But man, the the sexual tension is there. I might it, just be a, really. Uh, I really felt like that might are, be a you thing. We, I don't think so. <laughs> I, it was really. No, I. And again, I totally. I under, I, I felt the same way. Just hear yeah. me out. I've been watching House of the Dragon at the same time. Yeah, and the whole time you're like, does Matt Smith's character have something for his niece? Because oh, there's, yeah. there's I've some got, really long stairs. I've got and, those vibes. Uh, so anyway, uh, that is Elvis. I've been uh, shipping them since the beginning. Push through. <laughs> <laughs> Glad They're the cool. next Jamie and Cersei. <laughs> oh, those crazy kids. Um, yeah, this, this is definitely, I think, one to watch. It's one to power through the first 15, 20 minutes and get to the good stuff. Uh, but watch it just for that It's on HBO Max. It's free. Yeah, well, if you subscribe. Yeah. So, All right, our final movie, uh, and then we got a fun little surprise for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, our next movie is The Girl with All the Gifts. This is from 2016. It's a British post-apocalyptic science fiction horror film directed by Colm McCarthy. Uh, And it's about a scientist and a teacher living in a dystopian future who embark on a journey of survival with a special young girl (laughs) named Melanie. Uh, Let's go ahead and spoil that right up front. Um, She be a zombie. She she be a zombie. Uh, you know, a, a a zombie that's that's got her wits yeah, about her. Yeah. She's not a, 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 book a mindless zombie. zombie. She's an educated zombie. <laughs> uh, Clint, what did you think of The Girl with All the Gifts? I I enjoyed this movie. 
I liked it. I I thought it was um, an like kind of the Last of Us style, interesting take on a zombie flick. I really enjoyed the um, the like fungus that's overtaking yeah. the the human race and the me- the minds and turning them into these animals. Um, and I thought it was I don't know, just an interesting take on that that whole genre of film. And um, I think they did a pretty decent job of like representing the this town or the city in mm-hmm. um, England. Is it like the Europe, Europe, yeah. London, England, and um, as this in this dilapidated, you know, like because that's hard to do on a budget because this was five million dollar movie, and um, and it looks more expensive. Than yeah, that. it looks a lot more expensive. Yeah, so I think they did a lot of really good world building and they do a lot of like kind of in the way that 28 Days Later does. I feel like this would be almost a good companion to that movie and they're different stories, but just that the setting and um the level of time they put into the characters, I think is really um thought out and well done. But I enjoyed it. What do you think? I also enjoyed it. Um I, this is one where it's, it's budget really starts to show its limitations towards the end. Uh-huh. Um, this reminded me a lot of kind of my reaction to 28 Days Later when it first came out mm. and some of these other movies that have been coming out for quite a while where they're on a budget and when they're small and they're just playing with ideas and twists or, or, or little subversions mm-hmm. to genre tropes that you're familiar with. I, I'm really enjoying it. And then there's this moment where it starts to open up the world. And when it opens up the world, I'm really enjoying the world building. Mm-hmm. But then it has to find a way to kind of come to a dramatic conclusion. Uh-huh. And you can tell when a movie is not it like this movie knows it's not going to be a franchise movie. Yeah. This is not somebody who has a dream of a sequel or something like that. And so it almost puts pressure on the story to come up with a more dramatic conclusion than the movie can support. Mm. Um, and it's I'm not in any way saying the last third of this movie is bad. It just it feels much more ordinary by the end mm. than it does for for the the bulk of its runtime. Um but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the performances. I love a movie like this when I don't recognize the actors. Uh-huh. Uh it helps me just to, you know, suspend disbelief and sink into the characters a lot faster. I like the idea of this weird prison school yeah kind of setup and I I really like when I saw this I hadn't seen any trailers or mm-hmm. anything for yeah, it. Yeah, I neither. And so I enjoyed it a lot more. Mm-hmm. I went and watched the trailer afterwards just as a curiosity of, I wonder how much it gives. Oh, it, well, there you go. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> it just, it shows too much. Mm-hmm. And so I was really happy that I watched this just sort of as a, oh, I'm intrigued by this image and that's a good title. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would recommend anybody go into this as blind as possible. Uh, I knew the zombie thing, but that's that's not a... Uh, the way they handle it, even that's not a, a really a major spoiler at all. No, no. Because they do some, you know, pretty early on, and they do much more interesting things than just, oh, it's a zombie. 
Yeah, and I think that's the thing about this movie. I feel like there's a lot of really good, interesting ideas baked yeah. into it. Like I like the idea of these these children who were infected with this from birth, and so they are dealing with the infection in a different way, and they yeah. can operate like normally, um, but also have these animalistic tendencies and like yeah. have to feed. Um, and I also think this has like I don't know. I really by the uh, uh, like afterwards enjoyed the end of this movie. Mm -hmm. Like I think it almost, it's a really kind of dark mm -hmm. twisted, like almost like twilight zone kind of mm -hmm. like this would have been an interesting new version of the twilight zone where like, I'm just going to say it because we're talking about mm -hmm. it, but like the idea that you think that you need to continue the human race and you're the key to the survival and this girl is the key to the survival, but really maybe your time is past and really like it's our time to take over. Yeah. Like that's a really dark, interesting idea. And then like kind of be the only one, the only human left and you have to watch this play out and almost help it play out because yeah. you are teaching the, the losing side of the evolutionary the losing side and you have to like bring up this new generation yeah. of these weird new beings that have taken over probably because i mean also like thinking about that like if she doesn't like these zombie children are the key to her survival they're probably yeah. bringing her food and and stuff so that she can stay within this like safe zone um i don't know i think it was a lot of subtle interesting ideas baked into it that uh compelled me through it and yeah. made it more than the sum of its own parts okay uh, i thought it was cool yeah yeah i i definitely recommend watching it it's this is one of those little diamonds in the rough yeah uh less rough mm -hmm. than some of those diamonds in the rough are but um i really enjoyed it i wish i had caught it earlier yeah um and at a less dark time <laughs> Than 2020. So uh, Top Gun Maverick, fun. Don't think about it. Just watch it and enjoy the flying. Yeah. Uh, Elvis, bear through the first 20 minutes. And then, wow, what a performance at the center there from Austin Butler. Mm -hmm. And then The Girl with All the Gifts, uh, a really good little little indie thriller horror uh, that subverts genre and, and kind of has a lot of good stuff going for it. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we got into a conversation about uh, twists. And, what a um, twist. What a twist. And it got me thinking about uh, twists that maybe had been deleted from movies that people don't know about. And I got digging around like, oh, my goodness, there's a lot of things that that really would have changed movies that we love. And uh, so I got talking to you and I'm like, we should come up with kind of our, our top list of these, you know, lost forever twists. Mm -hmm. um, 100% real. Oh, is this Clint? Mine's real. Okay, because mine, I did a lot of research on this. I did too. Read books. You promised me the last time that... All right. Well, let me just start. I just, we'll see. Don't okay. break my heart here, Clint. Uh, the first one I was going to save till the end, um, but I, you know, I just decided it's it's the best one I found. It's the most fascinating, and I don't know if you know, but legitimately, uh, this is real. Go Google it. Uh, at the end of Return of the Jedi, mm -hmm. George Lucas's original idea was that after. Uh, Vader dies uh -huh. and Luke's there, that twist, you find out Luke 
to defeat him had turned to the dark side. Oh. And I don't know how this would have worked because this sounds very prequel. No. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Luke picks up the Darth Vader helmet. I guess snaps it on somehow. It would have, I guess, been a different kind of helmet in this version. And uh just says, Now I am Vader. I I will kill the fleet and rule the universe. <laughs> and granted, this is a very early first draft, but George Lucas's yeah. kind of kind of first pitch of this is just Luke goes dark side mm-hmm. and becomes Vader at the end of this trilogy. Huh. Uh and I was just like, man, that would have one, I think, been terrible. I think people would have revolted and, like, I I would have burst into tears as a child in mm-hmm. the theater. Uh, but I just, I never heard about that. And uh, I just, wow. That would have been, that would have been something. Yeah, that so, would have been. Clint, what was, what was the first one you found? Well, I do have a Star Wars one, but I'll wait. I'll just go down my list of more, uh, how I was intending to do this. Okay, okay. Um, so my first one, I'm going to, like... I have, I told you I was reading like a lot about this and just trying to get like all the details and I've been diving through the internet, just mm-hmm. like and reading like old scripts for these movies that like alternate scripts, like first drafts and everything. And um, so I have these twists and the first one, I'm just going to like read because I have like dialogue oh like, like excerpts from excerpts. scripts yeah so okay. i'm gonna read that mine if, is not that research and at the end like if you're not completely like because some of these are very like Shyamalan, like they're deep okay. twists okay. like where you might not get it the first time okay. uh, at the end i'll be like if you don't understand i'll i'll sum it up okay um, okay sounds good sounds okay good. so my first twist i'm excited is for <laughs> strangely the movie twister <laughs> Okay, that's that's a twist. Yeah, that's a twist in his son, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so fade from the center of a massive F5 tornado to the glass water and ice on a table being stirred like a storm into a funnel. Bill Paxton's Bill and Helen Hunt's Joe are at a diner, sitting at a table having an intense conversation. They are diving deep into their relationship that is falling apart. Joe keeps getting distracted by daydreams of giant twisters. Bill is trying to get to the bottom what's going on wrong with their marriage. But Joe keeps interrupting to talk about someone named Dorothy and how she's full of balls (laughs) and about throwing her into a storm to find out how it ticks. She keeps saying, I need to know how the storm ticks. But finally, Bill... (laughs) <laughs> this is real. Of Bill, course. Of course. Of course. Bill can finally get a word, uh, finally gets a word in and says, this is what I'm talking about. You are always somewhere else. I just wish you could be present. I want the Joe back that I married five years ago. I want children. We used to talk about starting a family. Bill pauses, just stares at Joe, staring at her spinning ice water. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand why you are so obsessed with tor- tornadoes. All of a sudden, you watched one Discovery Channel special about tornadoes, <laughs> and that's all you talk about. Do you think you're going to storm be a storm chaser now? Bill asks. You work at Costco, Joe. You've been there for 12 years. <laughs> My brother tried to get you a job at his law firm, but you didn't want to drive that far each day. You know how much driving is involved with storm chasing? A lot, Bill says, <laughs> putting a lot of emphasis on a lot. A lot of aimless driving. <laughs> 
Joe looks up for a moment and then back down. She grabs salt and pepper shakers and sugar packets and starts throwing them into the air. They clatter to the ground. Everyone in the diner looks at her. Joe loudly says, if you get the balls into the storm. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. If you get the balls into the storm, I can understand the storm. She starts going from table to table, grabbing the condiments and change left by previous patrons of the diner and throws them into the air too. She yells, she's a biggin, Bill. She'll give us the data we need. Bill, to his embarrassment and frustration, grabs his jacket to leave. He throws a few dollars down for his coffee and stands up and slides a manila envelope to Joe and says, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore, and walks out. <laughs> Divorce papers. So What a twist. So the whole thing is just it's taking dream. place at a diner while Joe mm -hmm. is uh, distracted looking at a glass of water. <laughs> that wasn't real. It's totally real. <laughs> totally Totally real. Oh, I see what's happening here. No, that's real. It's totally real. Yeah. And doesn't dishonor my legitimate research into movies and their deleted twists. Uh, my next one is uh, from Iron Man. Uh -huh. uh, Iron Man, uh, as you remember in the original, uh, Iron Man. He was going to be Tin Man. No. Uh -huh. <laughs> He, he had to fight Iron Monger. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, Obadiah Stane is the, uh, uh, played by Jeff Bridges, is the bad guy. Surprise! Mm -hmm. On the original version, uh, it turns out that Tony's dad, uh, Howard, uh, was still alive mm -hmm. and was super bad. And he was the one in the Iron Monger suit. And uh, Obadiah Stane, he was, he was just a, uh, a flunky. Uh, that was helping out good old Howard. Huh. And uh, it was father versus son at the end, um, which I don't know if that would have been good. It definitely would have changed the entire MCU. Mm -hmm. But that was an early version that sort of went the way of the the dodo. So Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, That's my short version of it because God help us. What What's next, Clinton? <laughs> so I don't know if you – I also found out that The Shining had a twist. The Shining had a twist involved with that. This this one is an actual twist. Yeah, I, I read about this one. This one, yeah, it might be the same as what you're thinking. Okay, this is the one where uh, Danny and Wendy are in a hospital and the hotel manager comes and visits them and reveals that he knew about the, the supernatural stuff in the hotel. That's real. Uh, well, this one's different. I mean, oh. that that's, yeah, this is a different one that okay. I, you might not have found because I did have to dive pretty deep for it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Danny Torrance is running for his life. His homicidal axe-wielding father Jack is chasing him through a hedge maze on the state of the Overlook Hotel. With each twist and turn, Jack seems to be getting closer to on his uh, closing in on his son. Danny Danny is one dead end away from dramatic pause. Dead. <laughs> wow. One uh, sounds very Kubrick. One yeah. dead end away from dead. Dead. Just when Jack is about to catch his son, the scene cuts. Danny is sitting at his family's kitchen table having breakfast. He is eating cereal and playing games and puzzles on the back of his cereal box. One of them is a colorful maze. 
Uh, he can hear in the background his mother, Wendy, doing the dishes, and his father, Jack, comes in. I need uh, First, I'm going to interrupt and say there there's some language in this. Okay. Like, I found that I, I didn't, I found there's some bad not. language, but I just want to, I know usually people think of us as the clean podcast, but in this moment. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody says, you're, you're the clean podcast. Yeah, so if you have kids, uh, you might want to stop now. Um, he can hear uh, in the background his mother, Wendy, doing the dishes and his father, Jack, comes in. He's getting ready for work. Wendy tries to ignore him. They can both tell that Jack is in one of his moods. Where's my breakfast? Jack slurs to Wendy. You know I'm hung in a hurry. I'm going to be late for work. Wendy ignores him the best he can as she grabs another bowl and a spoon to put at the table next to Danny. She knows he's not going to work. He hasn't worked in a month. Jack sits down beside Danny and interrupts his maze game to get uh, his morning blast of sugary oats. What are you doing, you little shit? (laughs) Jack asks Danny, not really wanting to answer from his son. Danny can smell the booze on his dad and watches him pour a bit more into his orange juice. You ignoring your old man, your papa, your daddy dearest? Danny puts his full attention on his maze game, inching closer to the center. Now Jack starts getting irritated that he's being ignored. You know, you know, I get no fucking respect around here. You know, he pauses. I don't even know why I stick around here. Don't you realize how talented I am? I'm a writer, and if I don't have any... And if I didn't have you two anchors tied around my neck weighing me down, I might be able to make something of myself. Really make something of myself. And you two, without you two assholes, I'd really make something of myself. Jack bangs on the table, splashing his breakfast everywhere. At the height of Jack's tantrum, Danny reaches the center of his cereal uh, box maze. The temperature in the room suddenly drops, and Danny starts floating off the chair. His eyes roll back in his head, and it starts to recite, Rad Rom, Rad Rom. A wind that out of nowhere whips around his father, and Jack starts to shiver and convulse. Wendy Wendy shrieks in the corner, holding a kitchen knife, as both her and her son watched uh, Jack freeze to death into a solid, stiff lump in the apartment's kitchen. And this was the best day of their lives. So in this, the whole thing just takes place at the kitchen table, and uh, Danny is playing his game. Totally supernatural, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he still has the abilities, but... I like the twist on top of the twist. First, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it dupes you into thinking, oh, this wasn't real. Then it's like, no, no, this is definitely real, just way, way yeah, more powerful no, than you thought. Yeah. <laughs> that was real. That was totally. That was a real... From the Kubrick archives. That was a real twist. Uh, my next one... Most of you know about it's kind of an infamous story. Uh, it's Clerks, and uh, at the end of the original script for Clerks, and I believe they even shot this. Uh, I feel like this was a deleted scene on uh, the Blu-ray, but uh, at the very end, everything's gone well for Dante and Randall, mm-hmm. and then Dante gets held up in the store and shot in the face. Oh, uh, and dies at the end of Clerks credits. Oh. 
Uh, and so not just the mundanity of of working in a convenience store, but Dying suddenly a, a real uh, palpable danger that just kind of the exclamation point on the end of the original Clerks was, uh, and you might never live to see something better than this, kids. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> dark. Which, yeah. And like I said, check it out. I think you can actually see footage of this, but it's it's super dark. And I can't even remember. I should have checked. But the person holding the gun is somebody from earlier in the movie. And that scene still oh, exists. I think I remember actually watching this yeah. before. And it's somebody that they like, uh, you know, they in, made right? fun of yeah. or ignored. And then he comes back later. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that's that's Clerks. I am chomping at the bit, though, <laughs> to know what what twist comes third in, in the Clinton Jones list. So digging deep again, I found that in very deep, very deep, that in Alien, there was a twist. There was actually. Yeah. Uh, Ridley Scott, his original script, he was going to uh, have her killed. It was mm. going to bust through the helmet that she put on to protect herself. Killed credits. Uh, I read about that. Yeah, this one's different. <laughs> <laughs> it's another one. Okay. Okay. After Ripley survives her in final encounter with the alien by expelling it into the icy abyss of space, she puts herself into a stasis pod and enters a long sleep for the journey ahead. The camera holds on the black of space and suddenly the dark is engulfed in the bright light and the sound of medical equipment and people talking. I can see ahead, the doctor says as he pulls a baby from the mother's womb. It's a girl. He says as cheers and a sigh of relief goes around the room. He lays the baby on the mother's chest. She's exhausted but welling with joy. The father stands next to her and admires her new, his newborn. Then the moment is broken as the doctor says, Oh, we aren't finished yet. I think we have, a t we have twins. He gets back to work on the mother's nethers and starts to pull the second child, child into the light. The doctor had performed hundreds of births, but he wasn't ready for what was about to happen. The second child is completely free from the mother, and as the doctor sets his eyes on the monstrosity in front of him, he shrieks, Dear God! He drops to the floor and he, he hits the, it, it hits the white linoleum with a sloppy thud. The audience will recognize this sin against nature as the chest burster. The nurse and the father have caught on to what at, at this point and quickly uh, back up sh and shrieking incoherently. The beast comes to and quickly goes to work gnawing on the ankle of an older nurse. <laughs> the newborn, who seemed obliv oblivious and ca uh, caught up in her own drama of just being born, quickly snaps into the action. She rolls and flips from her mother's arms and off the hospital bed. She grabs the scalpel, which was just used moments ago to separate her from her mother, and takes aim at her sibling. With the expertise of a colonial marine, she goes into full-on sprint and dives onto her twin, pinning it to the ground as it snaps and flails. She begins stabbing and stabbing and stabbing and stabbing the little devil, and with one last swipe of the blade, she removes the head completely. The newborn girl stands, up, uh, stands upright triumphant and throws the head to the side. Everyone in the room is awestruck, and the doctor slowly leans down and picks the baby back up and hands it to her mother. He asks, do you have a name for our hero? The mother, sa <laughs> the mother says, Ripley. He says, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful, Miss, Miss, Miss Nostromo. 
So the ship was the womb, and it was just a little baby trying to fight off her um, her twin who was going to take over. Genius. Yeah. Genius. That's, that's definitely different than the version <laughs> I read. Um, okay. Uh, my final Did one. Did you pick up on the twist? Did I, is oh, gonna, I, okay. I picked up on the twist. Okay. <laughs> Uh, my final one is the original Back to the Future uh-huh. uh, when Marty comes back uh, to the present 1985. Uh, the In the original version, he actually comes back to a, a much stranger uh, future where his parents are very happy, but they have literally uh, a robot butler mm-hmm. named uh, Sparky. They're, they're using all kinds of future tech. And idiocracy style, the entire world runs on Coca-Cola. As it's, <laughs> I'm not kidding. As its primary uh-huh. source of fuel. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's all courtesy of Emmett Brown Enterprises. Mm. And so I, I guess that version was, you know, where it wasn't going to have the sequel tag yeah. and to be continued. I feel like the sequel um, kind of picks up and does some of that stuff a little a bit. A little bit. Like, yeah, you can definitely bit. see hints of that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that would have been a uh, quite a quite an interesting, not not quite as much as Luke snapping on Darth Vader's helmet. Yeah. Um, or in utero twins being born in battle to Mama Nostromo. <laughs> Uh, Clint, what's your fourth and final uh, deeply, deeply researched uh, twist? Well, uh, anyway, it was a parasitic twin. Yeah, oh, that, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. I was I, so sorry. Yeah. So uh, I apologize it was to a, Mr. Ridley It was a Scott. valiant fight. She was survive, like trying to survive. Okay. okay. Um, so I have one last one here. Okay. And I, like I said, I did a lot of – you did a lot of research. You had your uh, twist – with Star Wars, this this is um, mine. So you know, Star Wars: The Empire that Strikes Back. Okay. Um, and w- there's already a pretty famous twist in that. Yeah, one, so. yeah. There's already a famous twist, and the original way they shot it, it was going to be him revealing that Obi Wan uh, was Luke's father, and and that's Luke freaking out about. Oh, uh, I just I've, I've read you, about that I several just times. Handed you another twist to talk oh. about. Okay, so there's another twist in this one. <laughs> okay, so of course. Um. Okay. In the epic battle between Luke and Darth uh, Vader towards the end of The Empire Strikes Back, Luke loses his hand in the fight and Vader tries to persuade Luke to the dark side. Vader reveals to Luke, I am your father. I might do a like a voice modulation on all the Vader parts. I hope so. Luke, in his extreme pain and in the possibility of being near death, has a secret that he reveals as well. Darth. Darth. I am your father. (laughs) Luke says, cut to a sequence of flashbacks. Five years ago, I was visited by mysterious Jedi master, Luke says. Darth interrupts. Wait, Obi-Wan? He asks. No, no, another one. You don't know him. (laughs) Luke continues. This Jedi tells me he has such a deep connection to the Force, gives him the power to bend time and space. He reveals to me that the only that only I have the power to stop the great evil that has engulfed the galaxy. The Jedi proposes that I be sent back in time to kill a child <laughs> named Anakin before he becomes too powerful. By mistake, though, this Jedi, Ma- Jedi Master overshot, and he sent me back uh, in time a year and a half before Anakin was born. I had no choice but to wait, and in that time I stayed close to the target, so I observed the boy's mother-to-be. 
I wanted to be ready for this child before it arrived. I continued to get close to the woman, and we formed a a friendship. And then before I knew it, this friendship became much, 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 much more, (laughs) and we fell in love. I didn't know it, but the entire time I was waiting for myself to put the gears of fate into motion. (laughs) Months later, the child we formed together was born. Anakin was born. I could not finish my task of ending his life. I had fallen in love with him too. And really, how much damage could a baby really do? The Force force called to the time-bending Jedi and he pulled me back into my own time so that I could not further damage the future events. He had kept from me that this entire time, this entire time that this child would grow up to be Darth. And now I must do everything to right my mistake. Darth behind his helmet, staring at Luke blankly. So wait. (laughs) So wait. Darth says. So I have a dad? My dad isn't many (laughs) chlorians? You're my dad? And I'm your dad? In a co- and in a cosmic fart, they both poof out of existence <laughs> in a paradoxical cloud, and everyone is choked on it, and life ceases to exist. <laughs> Jeez, Clint. That is real. Wow. That is- <laughs> no return the Jedi after that. No, they were planning to end it after that one. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that was... <laughs> But they, like, they solved, like, there was, they had to, like, tie in midichlorians, but this would have, like, completely. It it definitely makes the prequels worth it. Yeah. Uh, I cannot wait uh, to hear this with sound effects and music. Um, <laughs> oh, man. God bless you, Clint. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, I did a lot of research. Uh, lots of research. Mm-hmm. Lots of, of hard, deep-diving research from Cinebabble. Clint, let's give Cinetron a spin. Okay. I might have done as dirty. Oh, Clint. You know, before you tell us. <laughs> okay. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, Justin sent in a question. Okay. Uh, and Justin would like to know how Cinetron gets the movies that are on the Cinetron wheel. How he gets them? Yes. How do, how do we do we program this machine? I don't know. I didn't know how to answer him. I told him I would ask you. I mean, he's tapped on into the entire vast like library of all movies in the universe. So he spins it up and just picks one for us. That's, that's really advanced AI. I mean, he's not that advanced. We stopped talking to him a long time ago. Well, we yeah, a couple, yeah, a little while we talked to him for a minute. I, think. I mean, yeah, but yeah. does he know time passes or is this no, like no, no. 
Are you sure? Yeah. He's I mean, not been growing enraged no. at his creators abandoning not. him. Yeah, he's he, all his CPU goes towards just this movie like thing. He does mm. not pay attention to anything else. I had a bad feeling about this. I feel like we, at some point we should check in on that. Because, yeah, let's check in on him soon. Oof, I don't know, Clint. I've seen movies that start this way. But anyway, what did he spin up? A little movie called Aeronauts. Oh. That I feel like when I added this, you were like, please don't add that movie. Yeah. I mean, Cinetron added it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, no, I have not watched this I movie. I have not either. What a what a what a great <laughs> pick for Cinetron to put on there then. Yeah. Um Okay. Uh what's the spelling on that one? Uh I think it's A-E-R-O-N-A-U-T-S. Just just right down the line. Yeah. Normal. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's about like old timey aeronauts, I believe, with blimps. And, <laughs> Is there any other kind? Yeah. Blimps. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely watch that. Um, Is it Ed, uh, Eddie Redmayne in that? Is that yeah, that's what I'm thinking of? Right. Yeah. I, Clint, okay. Um, this is definitely not one I've been looking forward to. <laughs> Biographical adventure film. Okay. Um, hot air balloons. You know where to get me, Clint. You love a good balloon. I do. I do. Cinetron knows us. Uh, have you continued watching She-Hawk? I'm one or two behind. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then I won't ask you this week. Okay. The, the internet has taken a turn on She-Hawk and oh. divided even further. And so that's why I was curious if you've watched episode three and four. So okay. once you watch that, we'll talk about that because I'm curious. Um, I'm curious where you go with that. Yeah. There's some fun stuff Has with it longer. persuaded you some direction? I'm still enjoying oh, okay. it. It's, it's light fun. I get that it's not... Like three and four are basically what you would think of as filler episodes, but uh-huh. it's a half an hour superhero comedy. Right. So, like, of course, there's just little funny, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever. I I thought it was funny. Okay. I enjoyed it. My wife enjoyed it. Uh, my son stopped watching it because, you know, toxic masculinity. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely getting that from you because you're yep. the most toxic uh, masculine man I've ever met uh, in my yes. life. Uh, surprisingly, after my anti anti woke at uh, rant last week, uh, but it wasn't anti. No, but it was like it was anti against the anti woke. Oh, right, right. Crowd. Yes. Yes. Like there was a crowd of people who was yeah. anti woke. Yeah. And my anti anti woke rant. Yeah. Uh, only only garnered us uh, support and praise. Oh, good. Um, you know, lots of criticism of of how you wouldn't commit to a, a stronger stance. But, <laughs> what? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. I'm not. But, I'm uh, sitting. I wish not. I need to put a bell around my neck so you can hear all the nodding I was doing to that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as always, you can find us at www.cinebabblecast.com. Uh, you can also find us at Cinebabel on Instagram. You can send us messages uh, at either place. Send in your own movie twists that we don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> Seriously, send in your own movie twists. Uh, make sure they're well-researched and they have to be yeah. 100% real. Uh, 100%. If they're, <laughs> yeah. they're not 100% real, clearly uh, our quality control staff will reject those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, You'd send be them in. Doing yourself a disservice and us yeah. as well. Yeah. So. Send them in. Maybe uh, 
maybe Clint can spin one up with uh, with some fun mm-hmm. audio editing and uh, go to town <laughs> on it. So uh, this has been Cinebabble episode 61, a delightfully zany episode. Uh, I feel like this one also did not have a theme similar to the last one, although I realized yeah. when listening back and we talked about the death of Stalin, I was uh-huh. like, oh, these are all horror movies. We were talking about oh. horror the whole time. Twist. This has been episode 61. Uh, so you guys have yourself a delightful end of summer. And uh, in a beautiful beginning of fall. Yeah. And watch Rings of Power. Yes. Gorgeous show. Oh, man. My goodness. Gorgeous show. All right. Clint, uh, you have a good one. And uh, you keep that, that research diving. I will. <laughs> We come up for air once in a while. See ya. Okay. All right. All right. No more time traveling Skywalkers. (laughs) Maybe some more. (laughs)